0: Welcome back to the Trojan Talk podcast. Uh, as I will be all this season, I'm joined by former USC quarterback Max Brown, who's also serving as an offensive analyst on the USC pre- and post-game shows. We're very excited to have him here on Trojan Talk this fall. And uh, what what better time to have him than right now As we have a, a first-week quarterback change, uh, our first look at this new area of offense. So we'll get into all that stuff in depth with Max, but... USC once it's open, they're 31-23 over Fresno State, but the story of the game is not the win, it's what happened at quarterback. JT Daniels is knocked out late in the second quarter, ACL, MCL injury, out for the season, and all of a sudden, the true freshman, Keaton Slovis, the guy that no one was talking about when he signed back in in January, in December, when, when he went through spring practice, there was no buzz until he started to emerge this spring, this preseason, all of a sudden he's the backup quarterback, and now he's the starting quarterback, true freshman Keaton Slovis, Max, how did you process everything Saturday? Just that, that, that whole whirlwind first half.
1: Yeah, we were just talking about. It. I think uh, it was crazy, right? I mean, offense is rolling. You're kind of like, oh wow, this is the new air raid. This is this is what this new offense, coupled with USC's skill, can do. This could be lethal. And then, sure enough, right in that second quarter, JT goes down. At first, I just felt for the guy. Right, you go through months and months of. Quarterback competitions and maybe a 2018 that he wasn't necessarily pumped on. He probably was so excited to just put that stuff behind him, uh, and I just I just felt for the guy, obviously. And then I think the the former backup quarterback in me kind of was like, "All right, Keaton, here we go. Like, here's your shot." Um, and I had a funny funny little note on the on the post game show. So like a, fa- a fan called in. We were kind of talking about that co- backup quarterback mentality and mindset. And for a guy like me, I mean, I I, I, went, I stayed. Three years, kind of one play away, and luckily, uh, C- Cody Kessler stayed healthy. But then Keaton, man, he had to wait all of two quarters, and yeah. and then and then yeah. uh, and then here he is. I think um, that was my initial reaction. Felt for JT, was kind of like, all right, Keaton, here we go. Um, and then I actually uh, broke down the game uh, last night offensively, and uh, this is going to give. This is going to hurt JT, this is going to hurt offensive coaches, but when you go back and watch that, they bring a seven-man blitz right in the middle. He has a hot route that's right in front of him, and I don't know the exact reads that he's supposed to have in this air raid offense, but a a, a quarterback offensive staple is usually replace the pressure with the throw, and they pressure right in the middle. He's got amon Ra right there, five yards over the ball, clear as day. Doesn't get the ball out. He's hanging on for a different route, but – it's unfortunate because you watch that, and I don't mean to be the bearer of bad news, but he could have got out of that and uh, and not had this been a thing at all.
0: Yeah, and, and that was a comment that actually two of his offensive linemen made afterward. We talked to left tackle Austin Jackson and center Brett Nealon, and um, you know they were both obviously at first just feeling bad for JT, but we asked them you know, technically what happened on that play, and they both said that they brought one more man than we had covered, and – Yep. There, yep. There, there was a hot route to get rid of the ball. It didn't happen. Um,
1: exactly. And that's the, that's the QB's rule right there. Is yep. if they bring one more, that's on us. Um, and uh, in terms of, of hot reads, I don't mean to to rag on the guy, but that one was pretty 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 straightforward right there. Third down, you're expecting pressure. You know, you're in the red zone. Windows are a little tighter just pop the ball right over the middle, but that's football. You're going to miss those, and he got hit, and obviously you're not expecting the worst. I mean, those things happen, but uh, it's tough definitely going back, breaking down the film and saying, ah, that may have been right there for us.
0: Yeah, and it's it's probably been the most consistent criticism about JT uh, over the last year. I, I personally like his accuracy. I don't have the same concerns about his arm strength that others do. But I do think there's times where he just doesn't see stuff that's out there. He misses opportunities. There was a play earlier in the game where Josh Fallow had kind of sprung wide open down the right side and uh, he he just didn't see him. So that has been one knock against him. But I mean, obviously you feel for the guy that put it in all this offseason, all this work, changing his body, uh, winning the job again, positioning himself for kind of a, a prove it season and he gets two quarters and now he's done.
1: I, yeah, and that and that hanging onto the ball is that's that's a big that 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 element is something you usually grow out of with time. That's the big jump you want to see from year one to year two. Is there's less of that? Oh, he's hanging on to the ball. There's less of that. Oh, he's processing. And I think that's that that single factor is the one thing that I think you wanted to see. We wanted to see uh, JT grow from year one to year two because you've seen all these reads before. You've broken down these defenses before and. Here we are with Keaton Slovis once or another true freshman. It's going to be some of those similar things, right? You're going to, he's going to have to grow up quickly. But that holding on to the ball, that beats slower, that t- takes a little bit longer to process things. We're probably uh, we probably have that uh, on our plate again right now as
0: well. Yeah, well, ironically, uh, one of the things that won JT the job again and and won it for him last year too, compared to his competition, he has always been the most decisive guy with the ball in practice. He he makes those decisions quicker than anybody yep. else, and, that, and that's one thing that set him apart. But on on Saturdays, we've we definitely seen that. We're going to get into the analysis of, of what we saw from Keaton and this offense, but I really want to lean on your personal experience here and take me through the, the mental toll of being a quarterback who goes through an injury after everything you put through. It, it's not just you know you're losing the games you're you're losing all that time you put in getting ready for this season what was that like for you with your shoulder and just going through all that
1: yeah no it's definitely uh definitely tough and just like any injury I mean obviously mine was different a little bit mine was my, my, my senior year so it's kind of your last go around I didn't have necessarily like the, the the red shirt that JT will be able to fall back on and then being a right shoulder instead of a, a knees a different different ball game but I think Big picture wise, I think a lot of that, I mean, JT's probably had a mental whirlwind the past the past year, I guess, uh, from when he started week one as a true freshman until now, just kind of the ups, the downs, maybe uh, not where he necessarily thought he would be. But then again, I mean, starting at USC, I mean, uh, a, a very high ceiling ahead of him. I think there was definitely some bright spots. I think I kind of touched on it in the open. I think if I'm him internally walking into this game I'm saying all right all that crap's just behind me all that true freshman growing pains all that QB competition all right finally it's behind me and then now he's got this big beast uh of an injury to deal with and um when you kind of project forward too I mean if you're JT Daniels specifically his, his future gets a little interesting too I mean if Keaton goes out there goes out there and plays well I mean, ACL rehabs, nothing nothing to, uh, it, it's faster than it was, say, a decade or two decades ago, but it's nothing to uh, take for granted. And then with a Bryce Young maybe coming in or probably coming in, like, how does that work? I mean, who knows where, where coaches are at here in, in, in a little while? I mean it's it's up in the air but i think you take it one day at a time but i think the beauty for him is he has so much football left with him he has so much football in front of him and he also has so much experience for being a young guy underneath him that i think he'll ultimately be fine but it's uh it's an interesting topic
0: to kind of go back and forth on no it's, it's a great point and it gets complicated for for usc too i mean you kind of have a certain timeline of your overlapping quarterbacks and. Uh, Bryce Young is a is a major big time recruit, four star quarterback from our Day. Alabama is trying very hard to sway him and flip his commitment. He's been steadfast for USC to this point. Uh, you know he was going to be two years behind JT. Now if JT retires, there's only a year separation there, and you have Keaton Slovis who's kind of come out of nowhere, and you know yeah. can't can't be discounted anymore. The, the way Graham Harrell has talked about him all spring, all preseason. He's a real factor for the future now too. So, so J T comes back next next summer, back in this competition again. If Keaton goes through a full season of p- performing well enough to keep the job or, or, or better, now it's just it's kind of wide open. Like, like there, there's no there's no favor, there's no presumption you can make at that point. Exactly. If Keaton goes out there and performs even just solid.
1: You can't, you can't just say, all right, now January 1 of next year or whatever, spring ball day 1 of next year, all right, now it's JT's job. No, there's going to be another quarterback competition, and that's what? That's going to be, what, three, four years in a row for, uh, I guess Sam came back the second year. But, I mean, a lot of QB competitions for this for this offense that we've seen. But I think, yeah, if Keaton goes out there doesn't perform well, there might be a big shift in kind of the whole landscape of, of the USC program. If Keaton goes in there and plays well – then we got a whole competition on our on our whole nother, uh, competition battle on our plate, and then even going a step further, if he plays well, you are gonna have a hard time convincing USC faithful or anyone that I mean JT should then get his job back. But obviously, those are those are those are tough topics, fun, to, interesting to talk about, but uh, a long ways away from those having to be uh, like immediately on our radar
0: yeah and just just the last point on that though it, it makes uh, USC's recruiting sales pitch to Bryce Young even tougher because they, they've got to now assuage any concerns about what he might think he's coming into because this is a highly competitive guy who can probably go a lot of places and play right away. I, I think that he might have been content waiting a year for JT. What, yeah, what's what's he walking into now, and and what are, what are they going to tell him? What's their sales pitch? And that's a story we'll get into later. We'll we'll talk to Bryce here coming up. Next couple of weeks and get his uh, viewpoint on this, but it's just another wrinkle to all this. There's so many moving parts now at this position for a program that was already in a very uh, transitive time where you don't really know what's go- it's going to look like in a year, or what's going to happen. Now just add another variable to it. Well, let me just get your quick takeaway though overall on what you thought of JT. We talked about you know maybe making faster decisions or, or missing reads, but he started 13 of 14. He was. Uh, he was Orchestrating the offense pretty well, back to back touchdown drives to start the game. In the limited sample size we have from this season, what was your analysis of of Daniels?
1: I thought it was really good. I mean, he touched on it right there, thirteen of fourteen, very decisive, uh, especially on that on those quick games. I mean, his second throw of the game was a five yard out. He's sitting on the left hash. He throws a five yard out on the opposite field. Quick game, like right on the money to Tyler Vaughn's. I think it was, and like that's a that's a big time throw. And not only is it a big-time throw to pull that trigger, no indecision, nothing like that early. I, I was impressed with that. Um, some some missed big plays when I went back and watched, watched it a little bit. Um, but the type of plays that I don't think he gets when he comes back and meets with Graham Harrell, I don't think it's a negative grade. I just think that it's, hey, maybe if you're going to really take the next step, those are some of the plays that you need to make to – Elude uh, a defensive tackle, step up, buy some time, then put it out there. Kind of, kind of plays. Those type, those type of fields. Not, not plays that you're gonna get knocked on, but the the plays that a, a next level quarterback would have made. But I thought all, by and large, uh, a good, uh, a very, a very good first game. And I think we saw early on what this offense can be when it when it's clicking and when you got a quarterback uh, out there being decisive. What what uh, would you make of it?
0: You know, I, I come back to the. Uh the JT critics of which there are many coming off last year, they harp on his, his arm strength. And I, I just, I just never align with, with that criticism. As you mentioned, I, I he, all the short interme- intermediate stuff is on the money. It's, it's mostly on time. It's mostly in stride. And I think that was what made him really exciting in this offense, because that's 85% of what this offense is. And, and he executes it very well. So I, I, I came into the season thinking he was going to do big things, and I think if he had the chance, I think I, I think I still feel that way based on what I saw. But we do turn yeah. the page. We go to, we go to Keaton Slovis, who didn't get to really fully unleash uh, all his skill set. He comes in with a lead. Uh, first series, throws two passes. Uh, Vaughn's fumbles. Second series, he unleashes the deep ball to Vaughn's forty-one yard completion. And then throws the interception on another deep ball, miscommunication with Michael Pittman. And from that point on, they really kind of grounded him. They, they went to the run game and distrusted the, the ground attack and the defense to close it out. So it was not a full representation of, of what Keaton Slovis will be moving forward, but it was the first time for many people to see him in any kind of action. I know it was, it was your first time really getting a, a true look at him. What was your takeaway of Keaton Slovis?
1: Yeah, and your point about it's not a true representation of him moving forward, that's what I'm interested to see. Like, how do they handle him? Because that was one thing I noticed a lot last year. So when they were rolling with JT and then Jack Sears got in the game, the play calling switched a lot. I mean, the the schemes they were giving Jack Sears, kind of how they were operating that, allowing him to be comfortable, it was different than when JT was behind center. So I am very interested to see how they go from JT Daniels to Keaton because when he was in there, it was a lot more run-heavy. And early on, I have a feeling it's probably going to be the same in in that, all right, two of our best players are Vi and Steven Carr right next to him. Let's get those guys going and then have Keaton play off of it. Rather, or as opposed to maybe when JT was behind center, we saw early passes right away, right from the jump. I don't know if Keaton's going to be like that. I think... uh, for me, I haven't been at the 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 practices like you have, so I haven't seen maybe the the, the ceiling that Keaton has. I just have to most so take people by their uh, for for their word uh, on it, but I think. Uh I, initially, I saw just a true freshman quarterback out there. I mean, uh, leaning on the run, made some made that that, that deep ball throw to Tyler Vaughns on the sideline was impressive. Um, but I mean, hell of a play by Tyler Vons, which is awesome. He'll he's not going anywhere. They still got elite receivers out wide, which is awesome for to to support a, a, a true freshman quarterback with. But by and large, I thought. Handled things well. There was no catastrophic mistakes. He had one nice little uh, hot route release he got on a little play-action deal. Um, but nothing nothing crazy, right? It wasn't a huge sample size, and it was definitely a feeling of when they got to him in the second half. It was kind of just like, a, all right, let's run the ball and let's get out of here, for better or worse. But that was kind of the feeling I got.
0: Yeah, I, we live in an overreaction culture now, and everyone was quick to rush to the message board after this game and, uh, you know, bring about doomsday scenarios and reactions and, and think that what they saw in the second half is what it's going to be the rest of the season and that they're not going to trust this guy to throw the ball. Again, he's coming in with a lead. He's a true freshman. He didn't get any first-team reps the last two weeks, and you can speak more than how much that matters. Yep. And, and they they thought they could win the game doing what they were doing. I, I don't think that they're going to be scared to let him throw the ball. I'm going to – at this point further there was no bigger fan of Keaton Slovis in that program or in this city than Graham Harrell. He, uh, yep exactly. He, he, he really didn't offer overt praise on any other quarterback spring summer it was pretty muted assessment when it came to Keaton it's this is a special talent talent wise this guy is as good as I've ever seen just these over-the-top statements and uh, they they really developed a good rapport. I, I know Keaton spent a lot of extra time in the film room. I've heard that from people just working one-on-one with, with Harrell and kind of getting a look at this offense closer and really getting ready to compete for that job. And he has a lot of the same things that JT brought to the table in that competition in, in that he was able to maintain the pace of the offense through the preseason. He made quick decisions. He was just – he had a very simplified approach to a very simplified offense, and I think that's what Graham liked in him so much, is that there weren't any bad habits to coach out of him. He came in as a blank slate, and he took very quickly to this system, and he did exactly what Harrell wants him to do, is keep the offense moving, snap it quick, find an open guy, and go. And I think we're, we're going to see I, – I personally think we're going to see them very close to what they wanted to run this last week, uh, put that in execution this next week with Keaton – quarterback in it you know we mentioned yeah. the, the the two deep throws the other play that really impressed me about him I think you, you hit on it was the uh the quick pass to Stephen Carr with the defensive end right in his face really showed poise found this open man instead of taking the sack I I, I think this guy is just the, he's a very even keeled calm person he's been the same way since he came in in the spring and I don't think he was rattled Saturday I, I don't I know clay helped me the same comment but my independent analysis, I don't think he was overwhelmed. So give him a full week of first-team reps, and I think they're going to allow him to see what he can do.
1: Yeah, and I think uh, your earlier point about Graham Harrell's comments being so high on him, I think there is an element of these coaches have been been around for a long time. I mean, Graham Harrell actually rose fairly quickly, but they've seen a lot of quarterbacks. So I think they can see, all right, even if this kid's only had – eight months in the program, you can kind of see the trajectory certain guys are on, just kind of the way they – they uh, how quickly they adjust to anticipation and their arm strength and kind of their moxie in the huddle. You kind of get a gist for who that guy is pretty quickly. I think the biggest thing is, okay, Keaton's not – The all-world quarterback maybe right this second but it's how fast can he get there I think more so when I hear Graham Harrell say that it's all right all right this this kid has an incredibly high ceiling based on what I can see right now and he might still make true freshman mistakes which he alluded to in the fact of why he lost the competition battle in the first place but it's how fast can he speed that clock up in terms of being a very solid USC quarterback very solid Pac-12 quarterback and I think uh I mean he I think they wished that, hey, a lot of that growth process would have happened, taking the number two reps in on practice, and so then he can grow behind the scenes. Well, now he's going to grow uh, grow before us, and it's going to have to happen awfully quick with uh, with Stanford out there waiting.
0: Yeah, and I, I emphasize the point about about Harold's comments because, and I, I knew this was coming, the minute JT is down and hurt and it looks like he's probably out for the season, even even live in the moment, the the Jack Sears dialogue already started. Uh, The the backlash to Clay Helton for chasing off Jack Sears and and, and going with Keaton Slovis. And there's so many people that are convinced that this was something that Clay Helton forced upon Graham Harrell. And if you go back to that competition and look at it objectively, again, there was no one higher on Keaton Slovis than Graham Harrell. There was no one that would have... Viewed Jack's skill set as not totally aligned with this offense more than Graham Harrell. It's H- H- Harrell more so than Helton would be the guy that would slot Jack Sears fourth on the depth chart. And it's, it's crazy because
1: we can we can sit here and talk about it. And you're for, we're, not we're not that we're forgetting, but we haven't even mentioned Matt Fink. I mean, there's <laughs> there's another guy in the notch before it gets to Jack Sears, but. Uh, yeah, no, I don't know. Is, so do you have any gauge? Is Jack Sears like back on the team now with a jersey now that, that that uh things are things are uneven or any any
0: news or gauge there? Here's what I think. So right after the game, of course, Clay was asked, would you reach out to Jack Sears? And he talked around it, but he did not slam the door shut and he reiterated that their conversation was uh, the door's open for you, and Jack's saying, if you need me, I'm, I'm there for you. I don't think Jack Sears is gonna come back to be a number three quarterback though I mean that's I'm with, I'm with it because if I'm Jack Sears, one of my
1: talking points when I'm meeting with Clay Helton is coach, I'm not getting reps in practice. like I'm gonna right. throw routes on air, but like coach, come on now, that's just like that's just me- messing with me mentally. I, this is this is this is miserable out here. And so now at the three the number three spot, okay, yes, he is scout team if he wants to be um which i think that can maybe kind of depends on what kind of what kind of duty is can he can he can he mentally wire himself to be like all right i'll go scout team and i'll just be the best offensive attack they'll see all year and i'll go out there and get reps and just kind of stay in it and all that stuff he might be wired that way or he might be saying you know what screw this i don't i don't, I don't want to be here but if i'm clay Hilton, I, I i made a call to him yesterday afternoon and said made it lighthearted but said hey <laughs> as you know jack things have changed yeah. and we uh We might need you, and uh, I'm mean, i assuming they left on good terms, so that call is probably not the hardest thing in the world to make, but uh, it's definitely awkward, definitely different, and definitely unheard of for sure.
0: Well, I'd I'd always be worried about having three scholarship quarterbacks and that lack of depth. I'm, I'm a University of Maryland graduate, and I don't know, five or six years ago, they had a season where they got down to their seventh quarterback who was actually a freshman linebacker. So that's that's a worst case scenario, but, but there are seasons where we saw it last year with USC safeties. Just the attrition was just uh, outrageous, just one after another dropping for different reasons. So it yeah. worries you to only have the three. You'd certainly like to have Jack here as as another guy there. Um, I, I'm I'm sorry. I, I, I say three. I mean I mean two. We're we're talking about about, uh, about Keaton, Slovis, and, and Matt Fink. So you'd like to have Jack Sears here, but if I'm him, nothing's changed. He's not coming back for that. He knows he's leaving. He is leaving this program, and unless the one, he had, the
1: one thing, or go ahead, yeah, finish, finish
0: it up. Unless he's a play away from playing, uh, like the backup is, then there's what's the upside for him? He's leaving this program one way or the other. Even if he got in this year, we just talked about how crowded the depth chart is next year. Nothing's changing. He's leaving this program. So unless he was needed as the backup, and knowing that at any point he'd go in. Then, then there's there's really nothing changed in the dynamics for him from from my vantage
1: point. Here's the one I'm right with you. Here's the one thing that may have changed uh, two two weeks ago when when or whenever the uh, yeah two weeks ago when the quarterback was was named and Jack's thinking all right I, I might leave the team. All his buddies on the team are saying hey respect a man you got to go do what you got to do. Versus now he might have some buddies in that locker room saying hey Jack we might need you here and I know like your third string and I know it's two hits away instead of one but. He might be getting a call from a Michael Pittman saying, hey, you never know what's going to happen out there with the true freshman true. quarterback. You true. never know. We were two hits away. I mean, we might need you. And if and if guys are – I'm not going to say guys are nagging on him, but if guys are saying, hey, man, it's a long season, we could use you if you're just hanging out. Like, we could use you if you're uh, just, I mean, doing homework here and there, like that kind of thing. That might get to you, but uh, – I totally get where the kid's at. It's not an easy dynamic to be in, but that's the one area I could see things change just because just
0: there's so much season left. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's a fair point. So I, I want to ask you this question, though, about the difference of not getting first team reps, versus getting them. Because, again, this step chart decision was made with really two weeks of practice left. So Keaton Slovis went the last two weeks getting whatever amount of reps the backup gets. And, and practice is now closed to us, so we don't really see what that division is. How big of a difference is that going into a game having the full week of starters reps versus not?
1: It was funny. I was uh, watching the game next to Robbie Colance, a former USC receiver, and uh, he kind of made the comment how, in some regard, it's almost easier as a backup quarterback as a true freshman quarterback, as a backup quarterback, to have your first significant action be just totally unexpected just because you just kind of go in there and you just play. Like, there's no overthinking, there's no the week's hype. Obviously, the flip side of that is you're not necessarily uh, – you don't you don't get the practice reps as much. But from everything I hear, Keaton's a guy that probably preps like he's the starter week in and week out. So he probably had the same level of uh, uh, mental prep. So there's an element sure. of just like, all right, just getting thrown in there and let's just go play. And, then, and maybe and, – and rather than just kind of overthinking things that that, that that might serve him better. But I think the difference is now he's got a whole week of articles being read about and wrote, uh, wrote about him like, okay, uh, he's got the, the pressure of – uh, breaking down a Stanford team, he's got the pregame jitters. He's got just the whole the whole works. I think that's maybe the negative side. The positive side is he's able to go through his entire playbook all week and saying, "I like this. I rep this. I saw this throw uh, being caught by Michael Pittman. I saw this concept work, Tom and Ross, St. Brown. And he builds up a level of confidence and kind of what they have, what they have going. I think, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it, every coach is different in how they split the ones and twos reps if i'm clay helton this is this is this kid's first start his kid could should uh keaton should get 90 percent of the reps all week yeah. and you're telling matt you're telling matt fink hey matt you're the vet you have playing experience uh we got to pour this entire game plan into keaton slovis stay like hang in there be be, a, be behind the center like do do all your mental reps but in terms of throw count all week i'm getting i'm having Keaton do a lot of work and he's in there but it sounds like he's uh he's a film junkie and so uh prep wise i'm sure
0: he'll be just fine well i mean we we saw his one big mistake was a miscommunication and he that interception where he floated it downfield trying to find Pittman, and Pittman was cutting in the ball was going out and and keaton even said i i predetermined where i was throwing that early and then it wasn't the route he ran and and obviously That's on the quarterback because Pittman's a senior receiver and probably made the the right decision there, and they just weren't in sync. So you think the more they do that in practice, the better it will be. Before we close the book on on Keaton, I want to go back to his recruiting story and just who who this guy is. And I had a great talk with his high school coach yesterday. I I called him just to see what his thoughts were watching that game. Uh, David Sedmack, the former coach at Desert Mountain High School in Scottsdale, Arizona, and, and we kind of got back into just the perception of Keaton Slovis coming out of high school as a three-star prospect. And he made the point, he goes, you know, it, he was one of those guys who didn't play varsity as a sophomore. So, you know, the, uh, the, the recruiting evaluation is already starting on, on that class and he's not really in the spotlight yet. He comes in as a junior and starts and he's kind of getting, a, he's behind on the evaluation period. And then in terms of his actual recruitment, USC went out to see him in May of his junior year. Brian Ellis, the former quarterback's coach, offered him that day. Keaton Slovis and his family were then in Los Angeles that weekend for an unofficial visit, and he committed that weekend. And that was really the end of his recruitment, and things shut down. And one of the the criticisms you hear or the concerns is, well, if this guy is so good, why didn't Arizona or Arizona State offer him? And as his high school coach said, Arizona State was about to offer him. They, they told his coach that we're going to offer next week. And then Keaton committed to USC and made it clear that he wasn't really looking to entertain more options, so they, they, they didn't follow through on it. And there were other schools that came in afterward and said, hey, is it worth, is it worth uh, pursuing this guy still? And his coach kind of told them, probably not. He seems pretty dead set on USC. So, you know, factor that in when you say he's a three-star prospect who had X amount of offers. Well, he shut things down really early in his recruitment and didn't really budge off it.
1: Yeah, I think, uh, and more credit to him for kind of sticking to his guns and knowing what he likes and saying, hey, at the time I'm a three-star guy and USC's jumping all over me. I'll uh, I'll go there and, and, uh, and be part of a great program. I, I can't blame him at all. But, um, yeah, no, I had the same questions in terms of, why weren't there Arizona schools on him? But that that story is fascinating in terms of how he ended up at, at, at SC and shows everyone has a different path. So good for him for getting a shot early.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, so back – I went to visit him back in late December before he moved to campus and met with his his family, and I really wanted to get his insight and perspective on, on why he was so sure that this was the best move for him, just given – the fact that JT was entrenched and and that Jack was viewed as the top competitor and that Matt Fink had also played and that Bryce Young was coming in. And I I just, I I really just wanted to have that discussion with him and his family and it was a great talk. And his dad goes, he goes, everyone, we hear it from everybody. Everyone keeps saying, well, they have this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, we are this guy. Like they believed and were just uh, resolute that that he was on that level and that he could compete with those guys. But they even had family members. I think uh, his father said that his, his sister, his father's sister, lives in San Diego and was reading all the recruiting stuff and, and called them and, go, and goes, D- did you realize they have this quarterback and this quarterback and this guy's coming in the next year? And so even his extended family was having this conversation with him, like, are you sure you want to do this? And he was like, yeah, I, I believe in myself. I'm going to go out there and compete. So it's, it is it is a really interesting backstory, especially now the way it's played out.
1: Yeah, no, good for him. It reminds me, uh, my recruiting class uh, Jared Goff, who was kind of a sneaky recruit out of uh, Marin Catholic in the Bay Area, was he decided to commit to Cal. And I remember at the time Zach Klein was the class above us, who was the biggest recruit on the West Coast quarterback-wise, and was like, yo, Jared, why are you going there, man? You're going to have to compete like he had a, like people that I met go to Boise because it was kind of the quarterback room was wide open and it was uh, he's like nah man I'm gonna go there I mean you got to compete everywhere so uh, any, yeah. anywhere you go so I'll go there and um yeah and, I, and at the time everything like this guy's crazy like Zach Klein's the hometown kid from Danville gonna start at Cal day one and sure enough Zach Klein didn't work out and Jared Koff started as a true freshman and it was kind of like all right well what do I know but it goes to show that you never know when your is called so good for
0: him for sticking to his guns. Well, let's move off the quarterbacks a little bit because there's a lot more to discuss. Again, this was our first true glimpse of uh, this new air raid offense, what it's gonna be. And coming out of the gates, I was really impressed with the pace. Like it was everything that was promised. they were they were getting set, snapping the ball within a couple of well, few seconds. Uh, you know it's very clear that this is gonna be uh, a lot of of quick pass game, a lot of short routes, a lot of underneath routes. Setting up the occasional deep shot, but it was really effective with the the players they had. I felt, though, after they got through their first 15 plays, you know, the 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 script, so to speak, that things did slow down a little bit and that they couldn't really maintain the way they started things. And that was before JT got hurt. What was your overall first impression of Graham Harrell's offense and the way they executed it this first time?
1: Yeah, my take with that was obviously there's a lot of short underneath passes and. That could very well be the case the rest of the year, but I think that's a byproduct of, I mean, Fresno State's corners were sitting eight, nine, ten yards off uh, early on, probably with the mindset. And I would do this as if I was a defensive coordinator going up against USC is, all right, let's force them to work their way down the field in 12, 14 play drives with five yard out routes and five yard hitches. Cause you're bound to make a, make a mistake. Eventually don't, if if I'm Fresno straight and I know I'm out man on the outside, I'm not necessarily going to press right away. So I thought that was a little bit of the byproduct early, sure. um, and a lot of those quick pra- passes did have run options. So it is a um, if the if the quick hitter pass game's there, take it. If not, hand the ball off type thing. And the concept I did love that was something new that was not there when I was there was the um, like quick uh quick route to one side whether it's a hitch or a slant or whatnot and then you roll out to a more deeper concept on the other side if they Mm. take that if they take the front side away and early on they were not Fresno State was not taking that front side away which that's a unique concept the first I ever saw that was with Marcus Mariota at Oregon um and that was some cutting edge stuff back when he was there obviously uh five years ago or so um but I love that concept, and I would not be surprised if they do those similar concepts with Keaton moving forward because it is kind of one receiver. If he's there, no. If not, you're rolling outside. And you're cutting the field in half, and so his read's a lot simpler. So I would I would expect those concepts to to continue. But, uh, yeah, I had the same first reaction you did. Loved the quick game. Loved how decisive JT was. And they, they slowed up a little bit. Um, I think they started to call some deep shots a little bit as as fresno 's dBs kind of itched up a little bit, and then for whatever reason uh, i mean th- those those deep routes didn 't work. I think at times it was either misprotection misread, uh, missed opportunity, whatever it is but uh, by and large, those quick hitters early on, I was impressed with usc 's offense
0: that 's a great observation that, uh, and I, I did notice j t rolling out a lot and we did not really see him on the move that much last year that was a, a, a definitely a stark difference. Um did anything else uh, – was it mostly what you expected, though, when you heard Air Raid, when you were preparing to see this for the first time? Was it largely what you anticipated, or were there more surprises?
1: I thought Bayless Jones was going to get more work at the slot. Um, I thought they were going to do a lot more – I mean, he got work. Don't get me wrong. But I thought they I thought I was going to see a lot more two-by-two, two, um, less Eric Cromanoke, less – I, I was expecting Josh follow, but I guess Cromanoke probably got more work in the pass game than I thought. Um, I think all those are kind of synced together. Um, I was expecting more kind of, a, a little more five wide, a little more spread out, rather than we saw a lot of maybe some, some, some up backs, some H backs, that kind of action. Um, but then again, as the game progresses and you run the ball more, that makes sense. Um, but by and large, I'd say big picture wise about what i expected um weren't as many downfield throws but that goes in line with all right if fresno state's db's are playing a mile off early on we're not going to we're we're going to take what the defense gives them but uh that was my kind of two cents what what'd you make of it
0: yeah well you know harrell has and his and his offensive staff together have maintained that you know they're they're going to adjust based on what they're seeing they're not going to force anything so so that that all makes sense that, that a lot of what they do would have been dictated by what they saw this first week and, and that it could look different from week to week here's a point that that you and I talked about off the air before we started the podcast and I had the same thought during the game we heard all this talk about we got to be eight deep at receiver maybe 10 yep. deep you know this is a fast paced offense we, we, we got to rotate these guys in and out there was almost zero rotation there. I saw Drake London out for an early series for like one or two snaps. Um, really, like you said, didn't see a, a ton of Velas. Didn't see Devin Williams, who, again, Devin Williams deserves to play. He is a physical mismatch. He's different than any other receiver they have, just in, in the way he plays and, and what he can do. And I really wanted to see him get a shot. And we didn't see it at all. And I was stunned by that. And we'll ask Graham Harrell about that Tuesday, but I, I don't really know what the answer was as to why they really just went with their top three and occasionally occasionally veil out there. No, that's a great point. I totally forgot. I was
1: that was that was my biggest takeaway, right, when we got on the line before uh, before we got on air was yeah, no rotation at the receiver position, which to be honest, I'm fine with, right? When you have Pittman, when you have Amon Ra, when you have Tyler Vons on one on those three are your 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 key pieces and if they're not gassed I'm cool with keeping them in, but then leading up months and weeks to this you can't say you're gonna roll out eight guys and have like hockey shifts and that kind of thing because those just don't work those are two those are mutually exclusive so I don't have a problem with it I just am very curious because that's not what we were hearing all off season um, to your point though. I mean we talked about this in the preseason podcast. Like Devin Williams was a guy that we were excited about. Guy people were excited about. Red zone threat. I was on the pregame show with Sean Cody and he predicted Devin Williams is gonna have the most I don't know if it was most touchdowns or um yeah, I think sure. mo- most touchdowns, yeah, with like the red just the red zone threat that he was in the fade ball with this offense. So that's that's a fascinating storyline to see how it goes, uh, see how it progresses. Um that coupled with kind of the tight end plays and other uh Another element but uh, yeah don't have a problem with it just there's a disconnect between what we
0: expected and what we actually saw I presume there'll be some adjustment off this first game and, and you, you don't want a talented guy like Devin Williams to kind of mentally check out early in the season So I, 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 maybe that's not the best motivation for, for playing somebody but I think it has to be considered uh, you, you want this guy to know that yeah, you're a part of this you're, you're going to play but the point I made the first time is that he, he deserves to play. He's a really talented guy who can, who can help this offense. And along those lines, also Marquis Stepp, the redshirt freshman running back, who we heard so much about all preseason. And listen, I, I understand that, that, that Vi Malpey and Stephen Carr had great first games. So I I'm, I have no qualms with the ordering, with the with the rotation, but you can throw Step a series maybe. And we did not talk to Devin Williams after the game. We did, we did track down step as he was walking out of the locker room and he was kind of blindsided. He, he had no idea that he was not going to be used at all. He went into that game thinking that he had a role he didn't have one. And there, there's, so yeah. And there's the
1: dynamic that we kind of talk about is do you play Devin Williams just to kind of keep him happy? That kind of thing. And there's probably an element of that's what they were doing all off season, right? Is trying to keep kids and their parents happy of like oh, yeah. steps going to be in the rotation. And then in the back of your mind, like, Maybe Stephen Carr rolls an ankle tomorrow, and we're going to really count on Marquise. Those kind of things of keeping people happy. But then when push comes to shove, and you're in the booth with the headset on, headset on, calling plays, who do you want? Michael Pittman or Devin Williams? Well, you're probably doing Michael Pittman if he's not gassed and he's ready to go. And so those are the and those are the dynamics you have to adjust with. Those are probably dynamics you have at USC that you don't have at. Say a pit where I played like those kind of things where you're trying to keep a lot of talented guys happy and in the rotation because you never know when you're going to count on them. That those are those are dynamics that Helton's got to uh, got to got to embrace. I think your point about the the running game. One of the most successful running games we've seen in, in recent in, in recent years at USC is Buck Allen back in whenever that was, 2015 or 2016, and that was a byproduct because he was the only guy we had because of injuries mm-hmm. at the time, and he was kind of forced into action. And obviously he he came from being a no one to a somebody, but when you only have one guy and he gets the full workload, sometimes that's sometimes that's the way to go because he's your best player, he's your best option. There's no net, there's no Need to put in a marquee step when guys are healthy, I know he 's a great player, you want to keep him in the action, but that is the fine line of running back by committee or advise Roland let 's just keep going with him and I know it 's not going to make everyone happy, but sometimes that's uh, that 's how football works
0: yeah no it 's a fair point i 'm not sure there, there is a unanimous uh, right answer there I, I will say it' it 's a good problem to have that you have these guys who didn 't play that people think could contribute that 's a good problem to have. Uh, and it's all—it was a major positive that we saw the, the rushing game do what it did. It was the it was the biggest surprise to me Saturday, because again we just didn't see it at all this camp at all. In the scrimmages, in the second scrimmage, the fall showcase in the Coliseum, they ran 17 times for 31 yards. It, it was it was brutal, and it, it became a major talking point that are they going to be able to move the, the ball on the ground at at all? And then we we discussed it in the pod last week. So I was stunned at. The holes that were there, and, and, and granted, Fresno State was not loading the box. Okay, they, they were very cognizant and uh, fearful of the passing game, and that, that definitely helped. But that's a byproduct of this offense that's, that's what you hope happens, that's, that's the way it's designed. So, I'm not gonna sway uh, all the way to the other end of the spectrum and say they have a great running game now. I, I want to see it against Stanford, I want to see what happens this week. But I was majorly impressed with. Both the blocking and, and the work of the running backs. And I, I like that they had Vi and Carr in there together, and that Carr really kind of settled into that 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 passing, uh, re- receiving back role. And, I, and and maybe Vi gets a lot more of the groundwork, and and Carr gets really to catch the ball in space and do things. Because every time he got the ball Saturday, he made at least one guy miss. I, I'm pretty sure almost every time he touched the ball, at least one guy missed, and he got extra yards. And that's where he's most effective. Yeah. And, and if there if, if there aren't going to be consistent holes up front, and you got to work for it. That's not really where he's going to excel. So so I like him maybe being really a part of the passing game more than more than the ground game. Yeah, I'm right with sport.
1: you. I'm right with you. And I think that's a great point. I mean, I almost forgot how negative of a storyline that was in terms of the running game preseason. And then you go out and have a good performance week one. It'll be interesting to see though because now. If you're Fresno State before week 1, you're focusing on the passing game. And guys, we got to cover and tackle in space and they got number 6 and number 1 and number 8 and number 21. We got to we got to tackle those guys versus now the MO for Stanford is all right guys, I got a true freshman quarterback. We got to lock down on the run game. And so the mindset shifts and can USC's ha- offensive line handle okay, maybe you get that extra guy. It uh, creeping in towards the box, and you get another set of hands trying to trying to trying to tackle the running back. That will be interesting to see because I think the the mindset of the opposing defensive coordinator definitely shifts these next couple of weeks in terms of having a true freshman quarterback behind center.
0: For sure, for sure. But you know, just going back back to Stephen Carr, it was really a revelation because he was kept under wraps this preseason and we didn't know if that was by design i mean you could certainly assume that would make sense to do or if maybe what we saw last year is all he was going to be again and it just was going to be a, a tick a tick behind what he what he was his freshman year early in camp clay was raving about his burst back he's there's no hesitation he's playing with confidence and then there was nothing tangible to back it up so we really did not know what to expect from him and he comes out and scores the first two touchdowns and looked a whole lot like the Stephen Carr that everyone got so excited about two seasons ago. And I, I tried he's, – he's a tough interview. He's not very revealing. I tried to ask him afterward just about the preseason approach and and was he just being held back as a precaution, this or that. And he goes, whatever the coaches did was in their best interest. <laughs> I got the same gauge in my interview. I had
1: him on the, the post-game radio and uh, – He's super optimistic, and everyone's
0: awesome. But he's not giving you much juice uh, to his questions, <laughs> right? Uh, did, did, did you? Can you kind of recall his freshman year tape and what he looked like, and and do you have any comparison to what you saw? I know you were <clears throat> yeah. you were across the country playing that Pitts. So I'm not sure how much you you watched him that season. No,
1: I uh, had my fair share of staying up till two a.m. on the West Coast watching some some Pac-12 off or on the East Coast watching some some watching my buddies on Pac-12 after dark, but. Uh, no, I think the biggest thing for him is I think some of those – I'm just hearing you kind of talk about how such a special talent but may, maybe not didn't have the, the big plays in fall camp. It reminds me of some of my teammates. Just You you get so used to their greatness and their skill set that over the course of spring ball and fall camp, sometimes it doesn't come out just because there's whether, – whether they're on a pitch count, for lack of a better term, or the coaches inherently know that, hey – they're going to play on game days, so you're not having the, the, the sheer amount of reps and workload and really trying to dial them up. Like I remember there was bits and pieces of that, where, like Nelson Aguilar, when he kind of became like a household name is they were maybe giving some other guys chances. And it didn't necessarily come on until, all right, week one, it's real football. Like, oh, crap. All right, yeah, he's a player. We forgot about him. And not that you forget yeah. about him, but that kind of element. Uh, at the end of the day, he's a special guy. And that was one of my first uh, comments when uh, on the postgame show was, just about every time, and you mentioned it in the, the swing passes in the past game, but every time he got the ball, I mean, he's making the first guy miss. Just, like, book it. Like, all right, that, that's going to happen. He's making the first guy miss and turning maybe a four-yard gain into leaning forward for eight and whatnot. But a special guy, and it's going to be fun to see, especially if they – uh, really lean on these running backs moving forward. How does that dynamic work? I thought it was super fluid between him and Vi in Week One. Like it, it didn't seem stagnant. It was just kind of in and out. You're not missing a beat. Both them, both their skill sets kind of grow and develop off each other. But when you're really leaning on those guys, probably for the next month or so at least, uh, will be fun to see kind of how that, how that, uh, how that plays out. Because I think they're only going to be uh, more involved in the pass game than what we saw this past week. I thought they had their fair share of checkdowns, but this air raid could be checkdown city real quick, and so I'm sure they'll get a bunch of work.
0: Yeah, and and just to close the book on the offense, everything we just talked about is the reason why my outlook for the season hasn't really changed much. A, a I believe in Keaton Slovis. I think he's going to prove himself. That's yet to be seen. We'll see what happens. But there's so much talent on at the skill positions, at receiver, at running back, and and what I saw in the first half in this offense, I just I still believe it's going to really maximize those talents and get a lot out of them. So you know, on our message board, we had a new thread on Monday going whether your adjusted season predictions, and everyone's dropping dropping by multiple wins. And I I held firm with what I said. I said eight and four before the season as the baseline and possibly more. I'm not going to budge off that yet because there's there's still so much talent here, and I think this offense is just going to find a way to. To adjust accordingly and, and get the most out of it.
1: Yeah, I think so. You were at eight and four. I was at nine wins, um, and I think I think my pred- prediction probably gets bumped by two. I mean, bump bump below. I mean, you talk about says so we got the win versus Fresno. I think Stanford. They're they I mean, who knows with KJ Costello and their all world left tackle Walker Little. So who knows there? But you talk about right after that, Utah, Washington, Notre Dame, and Oregon. I mean, who baby? Like those like those are. I mean, to win nine games, you gotta you gotta pull out a couple of those, or at least at least one, and that's right. gonna be tough. So, yeah, I think if we're just calling it how it is, I think um, my nine win prediction prediction with JT probably gets dumped uh, bumped down a couple with with Keaton, but we shall see. It all gets back to my last my last point of how fast can he grow into it? I think everyone you talk to in this in in the in the system kn- knows his ceiling is very very high. It's just a matter of whether it takes him two weeks to approach that max level of KO okay, oh, things are clicking here we are he's not going to reach his ceiling in two weeks i'm not saying that but at least playing playing solid ball or does it take him two months and i think that question is uh what what SC staff is mulling over and what uh what us media media guys and and
0: fans will see here shortly it's definitely a question well we got to talk defense a little bit let's do it um there were there were positives. There were negatives. There were, I, I guess you know the biggest question coming in was the young cornerbacks, and I didn't feel that they were tested immensely. And if I'm being honest, I think that if Fresno State had had a more aggressive downfield passing attack, they might have hit on some more big plays and might have exposed that a little bit. We saw the one long touchdown where USC was in quarters coverage and Fresno just kind of split uh, Chris Steele and Chase Williams and. Chase didn't react quick enough to see that Steele didn't have him. And by the time he started trying to close the gap, it was too late. It was an easy, easy touchdown. And that was just kind of a miscommunication thing between young DBs. But they weren't really tested in that way a ton. I thought Elijah Griffin did have a couple really great downfield covers. He almost had an interception on an overthrow. But the two times he was really stretched downfield, I thought he was right on his man. I just, I think we didn't get really a true test in that department. What we did see though elsewhere was some some missed tackles, some uh, ability to wrap up in the backfield, a decent pass rush, but a lot of missed opportunities back there.
1: Yeah, I think uh, to stick with the corners, kind of what you what you talk about there. The the play you get beat, it is Chase Williams and Chris Steele, which. I mean, that's, that uh, technically is the second unit, I guess, right now. So it'll be interesting to see, like, right. all right, they, they, they stuck with their – there wasn't as much rotation as I thought there was going to be heading out of fall camp. Right. So if those two backups are the guys getting beat, that makes me think, all right, well, there's probably going to be even less rotation. I think um, Chase Williams, like you said, he was right there. If you go back and watch the tape, his eyes go away to the left right when the receiver makes his post break. So it's, like, terrible timing. It's obviously – that's part of football that happens. But – he kind of got lost and mixed up there. But, I mean, you, you'd like to think, okay, maybe you're telling yourselves if the starting safeties are in there, that play's not happening. But, by and large, I thought I thought the secondary was solid. I mean, obviously, Isaiah Palomao, like, that, that pick seals the deal. It's a great Fresno State. Uh, tries to do a little, uh, a little not not trick play, but pump the pump the, uh, the the bubble and then release into a little vertical route. And Isaiah uh, <clears throat> sniffs it out, which is a great play by a safety vet play. He's not getting uh, baited into that. Um, but you talk about true test. I'm with you. Don't think it necessarily was a true test. But then the Stanford game, that that one's tricky too because you're going to get st- tested versus Stanford, but in a way that you're not going to get tested all year long. In that. Okay, I T S. Okay, Elijah Griffin, you're gonna have to go tackle, and you're gonna have to set the edge, and you're gonna have to be physical. And they're gonna play it. They're gonna run, 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 and then play action post. And you got to be ready to be kind of lulled to sleep here and there. Not not so much going on, and then boom, they 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 uh, they, they, they put a deep ball over your head. Like I said, it could be a different ball game with uh, K J Costello potentially not being in there. But I think the corners will be tested in uh, in this in this second game but i think it's a different type of test than they'll see uh the rest of the year
0: yeah it's you know it's 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 a shame that polo miles interception kind of got overshadowed by all the quarterback talk because what a play like they had just given up a back-breaking fourth and ten i think it was completion and you're thinking here we go like they're gonna tie the game here and it's the very next play uh Right, throws the ball pretty much right where it needs to be. You can you can see the receiver's hands, arms out there. It's it's heading right into his arms, and all of a sudden, if you weren't watching the full field, if you were just watching the, the flight of the ball, it seems like out of nowhere, Paul Malcolm's flying in, uh, and it picks it off, gets his feet in, and and saves the game. And and that really should have been, if that was a, a Pac-12 game, that that would have been the story of the game, like you know, huge win. But everyone is. Kind of feeling lukewarm off this Fresno State victory because it was tight in the second half and the quarterback stuff. I, I was really impressed with that play and and he also had another one early on where he it got overturned on review, but he he stripped the fumble out. So he and it was ruled the guy's knee was down first, but he he was very aggressive and made some big plays and uh a mostly encouraging start for him, I would say. Without
1: a doubt, <clears throat> yeah. And it was uh it was funny that play. I have to go back, but I'm pretty sure. It was the same concept as the Oregon-Auburn game, or at least even if it wasn't the same concept uh, in the end of the Oregon-Auburn game that sealed the deal, or I guess uh, the, the flip result. So uh, Bo Nix for Auburn throws that same ball. Safety de- Oregon safety does not make a play on it. It's a touchdown. Auburn wins. Flash forward to the USC-Fresno game. That same uh, corner jumps the out route. Vertical route goes down the field. This time, USC safety, 21, makes a play, seals the deal. It's not the flip res- uh, it's, it's It's the other result, so it's kind of fun if uh, if you were following that game. I know it was going on the same time as the USC game. But, uh, no, great play by Isaiah Palemal, and I think uh, that, that safety play, that's, that, that's, that's a stronghold for
0: USC, and I, I expect more of that moving forward it needs to be i mean that's kind of the way they're built they need the parts that they are confident in to be really good and the other parts to come along as the season goes one guy they're very confident in is drake jackson the freshman d end who as he did immediately in the spring made an immediate impact in his first game saturday was kind of a force in the backfield i was really impressed by him but I'm conditioned to be impressed by him, so you know this was this was really your first uh, first in-person analysis of, of Drake Jackson. What, what was your takeaway? Well,
1: was my takeaway? I was impressed, man. I mean, uh, it was fun reading the articles all all off-season, kind of. Hey, this is the next the next Leonard Williams or however they wanted to word it. I think one thing that, that shocked me is yeah. so he gets the Leonard Williams comparisons, but I mean, people feel like Leonard Williams lined up inside a lot with both hands in the dirt. Being a three hundred plus pound guy, Drake Jackson's more more linebackerish, and I know like that was kind of his mo. But in terms of the comparisons there, to me, it's two different body types. One's kind of an edge guy. Yes, he's he's big enough to at least in the college game turn inside. But I was impressed with his edge rushing. I was impressed with his motor. Like you talk about a young guy first d1 action first game action you'd expect maybe him to be a a little gassed a little huff and puff and that kind of thing but there were a lot of plays where um and credit jorge reyna fresno state's quarterback for escaping and whatnot stepping up but then drake jackson makes his initial move rushes the passer maybe doesn't get there right away but like sure enough he's the guy like that's chasing him down in the back end so i was super impressed with his motor i mean he just he doesn't look like a true freshman all the things you hear um but i would not be surprised i mean uh, I mean, he's already a staple in this defense, I think, with how they're rotating him in, but even more so. I mean, we already know about Christian Rector. Christian Rector, Drake Jackson, 89-99. I think that's going to be a, be a force all year, and it's going to be fun to see how Clancy uses both of them.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean if, if there was one consistent breakdown defensively Saturday, it was that they didn't finish all the sacks they could have had and that Reyna often took advantage once, once the pass rush had gotten to the backfield found the hole to to sneak out and and fight for some yards and they didn't really have a great answer for that but I was encouraged by the pressure up front and just just what they were being able to do and then um, you know we talked about a lack of rotation on the offensive side and really in the defensive backfield the defensive line was rotating like crazy I I went back and charted it I, I charted three straight series and they were different Every series, they were changing every couple plays. They were changing play to play. I mean, they're they're really mixing up that look up front, and they would have Christian Rector moving all over the place, and and different guys inside. Yep. I, I think that that's the one area where you're going to see a pretty deep rotation from what we yeah. Saw and I was very game. intrigued
1: to uh, see how they would use Hunter Eccles because um that yeah. position had somewhat kind of gone away from 2018 to 2019 like so no more Porter Gustin where it's all right, you got to find a way to get Porter on the field whether he's dropping whether he's standing up whether he's rushing whatever how are they going to use Porter's replacement kind of this year and from what i saw in certain rushing downs they took uh Christian Rector from the boundary to the field so the where the where the grass is the, the wider side of the field and then took Drake Jackson out and then put Hunter Eccles into the boundary rushing, which I thought was interesting. I'll have to go back and really chart it, but that was yep. the rotation I saw, which means two things. I think, one, if they're taking 99 off the field, one, I know he is gassed, that, or like their conditioning is an element, but they must like Hunter is uh, or, or love his, his ability to, okay, just rush the passer. I mean, standing up, do whatever you got to do. Like, let's let's go get the QB. But I also think it's cool that I think they're loading up to put Christian Rector in the best rushing spot. If you talk about moving him from, uh, and I'm thinking like the boundary to the field, usually that puts him on the right tackle. So that would be the worst of the offensive tackles. And so they're gearing him up to say, all right, 89, go get the quarterback. And so uh, that's that was just first reaction. I'll have to go back and chart it, like I said, but something to, uh, to pinpoint if you're watching the game is, is how that dynamic works when it is pass rush scenarios. But uh, I thought it was good how they rotated in, uh, interior um, interior wise. To me, another first glance imp- uh, impression. It looked like Connor Murphy and Nick Figueroa were going in together, or like that was kind of their rotation was kind of coupled together. Maybe not maybe not all the time, mm-hmm. but that's one thing fun to see. But yeah, I know when I played at SCA, you you weren't it, the, early on with the sanctions. We we didn't necessarily have the. Eight solid to good, very good defensive linemen, but that's what this team has. And it's fun when you're able to, I mean, like just saying that out loud, like Connor Murphy's a guy you kind of sleep on and you kind of forget that, hey, this guy's, this guy's, could, 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 could make something happen. He's kind of sitting behind Porter Gustin in years past. He gets in there, get his shot. I mean, uh, it was fun to see, but got to wrap up, but I'm definitely, uh, or wrap up uh, getting the, getting the, getting the quarterback, but I was definitely impressed with, uh, with, with their pass rush at large
0: yeah i mean i came into the season thinking the defensive line would be the strength of this defense and the real tone setter and i don't think that i'm gonna budge off that opinion off after what i saw that first game definitely i see it against you know higher level competition but i was impressed um that will do it for this but i remind all our listeners every week we're gonna have max here twice we're gonna do the tuesday podcast we just did and We're gonna do the friday podcast looking ahead to the next game and really breaking down things so we'll come back later this week and get really deep into in the stanford matchup and uh whatever other storylines develop these next few days and then also the thing i'm most excited about this fall is is the weekly uh chat on the trojan talk message board every thursday max is hopping on there for an hour and answering all of our subscribers questions the first one last week was really fun very wide range of topics uh, were you surprised by the, by the gamut of questions? I loved the questions it. Wide range
1: is the, the perfect word for it. Yeah, it was uh, for those of you guys that weren't there, it was everything from if I'm walking down a dark alley with anyone, any offensive lineman I play with, who would I bring? Um, that was a great one to stuff about my playing career, which I'm, I'm an open book about. So anything you guys are uh, wondering there, I'm, I'm happy to answer. And so then often, obviously, offensive scheme, current roster stuff. So it was fun. Tune in for that. Uh, answering questions and then after probably the first 20 minutes when I get through a bulk of the questions it becomes pretty conversational and able to chop it chop it up back and forth with you guys so I love that segment it'll be fun and uh, yeah this this Thursday night
0: yep so look, look for Max Thursday on the board if you're not subscribed get subscribed so you can take advantage of that uh, on Friday we'll come back with a podcast breaking down Stanford and we'll do this all season long Awesome. Max, thank, thank you. you this was
1: fun see you guys uh, later in the week